When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mind Love Premium, episode 85. Today's episode is all about how to activate your five core energies. Einstein said it beautifully once. He said, the difference between what the least knowledgeable person knows and what the most knowledgeable person knows is trivial compared to what is not known. And so I've always found these great ones, you know, the inspired kind of creators and path makers and change makers from history that they were less concerned about trying to compare and contrast where they were relative to where other people were. And they were more concerned merely about the unfathomable, large, universal truths and ideas and aspirations that lay seemingly beyond humanity's reach. But then you look at it 60, 70, 100 years later, it came to within humanity's reach. And that's how humanity has advanced. It's a new day, a new episode, and a new opportunity to subscribe to the podcast. You're listening for the first time. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you always know about new episodes. Plus, it makes you one of my favorite people. Because the more subscribers I have, the more I attract amazing guests to help better serve you. So don't forget to subscribe. Are your goals for your outer world and your inner world aligned? Do you even know? For most people, these two goals, I guess we can call them, seem to clash. Either in the pursuit for outer success, like material wealth or wanting to be liked and loved, supported and promoted, you ignore that quiet, subtle voice of your spirit. Or in the pursuit of inner peace, you end up struggling with money or you strain relationships. But what if I told you that there's a third option? You discover how to create outer impact from a place of inner mastery. You activate your inner core and express it in everything you do. And in turn, you create the conditions where inner success and outer success can thrive in perfect alignment. Before I started Mind Love, I worked at a startup in a pretty toxic environment. At the same time, I was going through yoga teacher training. I was deepening my meditation practice and reading about spirituality and mindset shifts. I'd spend all day Sunday with these high vibe people mastering our minds and our bodies and then go to work on Monday and feel like I was caught in a tornado of emotions just trying to keep myself on the edge of fight or flight. I tried working remotely and starting side hustles just to create more pockets of peace and passion in my life, but the waves of stress from my job always seemed to counteract all the work I was doing. But I couldn't give up my job. I'd stop making money. I'd have to go job hunting. I couldn't give up my job for some random quest of spirituality, right? It took me five years to realize the real stakes were the other way around. I had been sacrificing my life, my happiness, for a replaceable job. And the older I get, the more it becomes undeniable that my greatest resource is time, especially now that I have a baby. I look back to life before when I could just 
choose to go away on a retreat or spend a full week working on my business completely uninterrupted? I am so thankful that I spent time to align my life beforehand. Now I'm at a point in life where my goals and my growth both follow the same trajectory. When I want to learn something new or work on something in my life, I can actually just talk to an expert for an hour and share what I've learned with all of you. I love it, and it keeps me accountable, and it makes my heart sing, and I'm proud of myself all at the same time. But what I've learned is the work is never really over. Yeah, I've built the foundation, but I have to keep nudging myself back to my center every single day. So today we're talking about how your five core energies hold the key to success, whether in your inner world or your outer world, how to activate your five core energies, and our three natural states of consciousness, and how to move between them. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family, or you have a work deadline, or something unexpected comes up, and you're all stressed out, and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now let's welcome Hitendra Wadwa to the show. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. So what's your story and what drove you to first study and then teach the laws of success? Well, I think, you know, there's a hunger in all of us to want to live a fulfilling, rewarding life, to go on, if you want to call it like a hero's journey, to, you know, pursue some form of success, right? And whatever it is our passions are. And so I certainly, you know, had that as well. And so, you know, part of my life was all about some of these outer kind of accomplishments and, you know, attainments that one was pursuing. And yet there was a hunger in me from within for something more authentic, more true to myself, more deeply connected with something, you know, just kind of beyond just the finite moment of the here and now and the material and sensory experience of life. And so I I was in some ways very blessed. I grew up in India and it's a culture where from an early age, you know, spirituality in some ways is infused in you. And so I was able to explore certain of those, you know, harder questions in life, more through the lens of uh, studying, you know, mysticism and the great scriptures and seeking to try to kind of develop a habit of meditation and things. But on the outside, I was doing all these outer hunger things. And so um, when I started to do this work that you're talking about, you know, my book and um, the teaching that I do at Columbia and my institute, really the goal for me there was to find a way to bring these two worlds together, you know, the inner and the outer, the pure authentic me, and then the, like, I want to do and be successful in the world me. And I realized more and more as I was doing that, they were actually always meant to be together. They really weren't meant to be separate. And there are actually some 
timeless laws that we can, you know, all stumble into and discover and experiment with and embrace. And when we do, then we get to that place where there's a harmony, you know, on the inside and the outside. So that was about 15 years ago where I kind of made that my quest, you know, in, in my professional life to bring the inner and the outer together. So I have kind of followed that same path of like, you know, chasing the outer first and then it either feeling like the inner was lacking or doing the inner and then the outer was lacking. And you said that they're not really meant to be separate. Why do you think that for so many people that drive for the inner and outer success end up clashing? Yeah, it's kind of the human thing to do to really on the outside seek to conform, you know, and even those of us who are in some ways rebelling, let's say, against the institutional, whatever it is, we tend to have a certain community of people around us who reinforce, you know, our rebellious nature and who, in a sense, we are conforming with, you know, that circle of friends who support us and cheer us on for whatever it is we are doing. We're seeking to get loved by them, get applauded by them, get appreciated by them. So there's this natural human hunger for connection, for achievement, for applause, you know, all of that, right? And on the other hand, that sometimes leaves us feeling a little bit dry from within. So that's one of the these kind of like human struggles that we should just acknowledge is there, right? But I would also offer to you that it's not as simple merely as saying, okay, let me just um, throw all of those kind of considerations and compulsions away and just try to be like who I want to be from within. Because as soon as we start to look within, I would offer to you, there's a circle of friends that we have within, just like we have on the outside. And even within the circle, there's a lot of dissension and tension and, and pulls, you know, in different directions. And so a part of me wants to, you know, be disciplined. A part of me wants to be very, you know, just like loose, casual, indulgent. A part wants to do good. And a part just wants to like just consume and just focus on my own, you know, hungers and, and all of that, right? And so, so this is therefore a journey, the harmonization of the inner and the outer, and also the actual clarity about all these different like friends that I have within me, which of them is my true self and which of them are really my false selves who may gratify an impulse in the moment, but really in the medium to long run will leave me dry, will leave me feeling like, oh, you know, this wasn't really a year well lived. I actually offer, you know, in, in the work that I do, that um, the first thing we have to win is not the outer battle, it's the inner battle. Once we are able to, from within, get anchored in our true self, and I call it your inner core, you know, once we get anchored more in our inner core and not these like false, you know, pulls and, you know, compulsions and addictions and ha habits and impulses, once we get really anchored in our inner core, then it's kind of, you know, and this was the breakthrough for me. It's, it's really powerful to realize that people start to sense that. People start to see that there's a certain kind of, if you want to call it like an inner charisma, that is starting to exude, you know, from us. There's a certain peaceability, a certain, you know, a sense of fulfillment, you know, unconditionally, a certain sense of steadiness and groundedness, uh, and a certain, like, you know, capacity to be fully present in the moment and to be really deeply connected and interested in helping serve and support and, you know, the people around us. And, and so they start to sense that. And therefore, good things start to happen to us from the outside. Not because we're, like, dressing for success and learning and mastering all of these like the outer technicalities that the world teaches us you need to be successful. But because somehow by winning some of those inner battles, we just like show up as the most compassionate version of ourselves, you know, like a Mother Teresa or the most calm version of ourselves, like a Gandhi. And, and then people around us also become calm and compassionate, you know, and good things start to happen. Anyway, so that's the, 
that's the idea I'd, I'd like to propose that, look, it's natural to feel these conflicts. It's there for all of us. You've confessed up to it. I've confessed up to it. And yet there is a path through which one can get to a place where one develops first in a harmony and then over time, even outer. I love the way you worded that, where it's like there's a circle of friends kind of living inside of us. I'll admit that often I can find my mind sort of slipping into the idea that like, you know, I want to be this version of success, but man, I, I just binged on social media for an hour and a half while we're paying for a sitter. Why did I do that? You know? And, and then I start beating myself up and think, well, is that my true self? Is it that lazy version, that addicted version of me? That's my true self. But just giving voice to the idea that yeah, that's a part of me, but it's not the only part of me. The part of me that gets up at 5 a.m. to do writing to get this podcast done, like that's also a really big part of me. It's really weird. I think I'm emotional. I almost just cried right now. <laughs> like maybe wow. I'm giving yeah. voice to this part of myself that like, because especially just the more I'm an entrepreneur, I work from home, I have a baby. So I don't, yeah. I see people less often than I usually do. And so I'm just realizing through this conversation that, those that inner circle of friends is like what what's there most of the time and so yeah i think we often end up beating ourselves up and and think well maybe this is really me and that's not but the truth is we're so complex that we're multifaceted and all of those are parts of ourselves yeah yeah i mean one construct i like to keep uh, you know present in my mind is there is, if you want to call it, the present me, right? And that present me has all of these different conflicting pools at times and may may invest in doing something that may be a little bit sort of in conflict with like, uh, you know, my nobler purpose or something. Uh, but then there is what you might call the ideal version of me, you know, or the most like inspired, the most pure version of me, the most like egoless version of me. And I see like sparks of that, you know, from time to time. Perhaps I'm taking a walk in nature, speaking to somebody who's really very uplifting and inspiring or, or reading a certain passage like that in a book or, you know, or, or, or through meditation. And that may be a glimpse of like my truest self. I'm not there all the time. And I do get in the immediate moment, you know, sometimes a lot of gratification from certain activities and you know, and, and, and habits that in the moment feel very real, very true to me. But I also realize that actually speaking, I'm a work in progress. And as uh, St. Augustine once said, he said, you know, no, no, no sinner is without a future and no saint is without a past, you know. And so, so when you think of it that way, there is the, you know, the human version of me, which is a work in progress. And there's this, if you want to call it like ideal, like saint version of me that I get glimpses of from time to time. And I have patience and I have capacity for self-forgiveness. And I realize that, you know, I'm, you know, I'll slip a little bit here, here and there. And I'll, I'll indulge a little bit here and there. And I can't be like immediately my full saintly self every moment. But, but it's a beautiful thing to be aware that it exists within you, you know, this capacity to be like a perfect hero, <laughs> you know, in your, in your journey. And maybe in some ways the quest in life is to get, you know, a little bit closer to it. Yeah, you had this quote in your book that really hit me. And it said that, the root of our problem is the mistaken idea that you're being true to yourself when you give free expression to your thoughts, feelings, values, personality, and desires. And it's interesting because I feel like that quote almost seems to contradict a lot of what the messages people are getting online about what self-care really is, you know, like, oh, you're feeling this, just do it. Or, oh, you're thinking of this, go out and do it. <laughs> and, and just, you know, give in to that, just like settle down. And 
I do think that there's a place for that and there's a time for that, but there's this level of discernment that comes before that. Like, is this a thought that I want to expand with then action? Or is this a feeling that I want to indulge by thinking deeper into it? Is that what you meant by that? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com mindlove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot mindlove. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Is this a thought that I want to expand with then action? Or is this a feeling that I want to indulge by thinking deeper into it? Is that what you meant by that? Yeah, I like that way of thinking a lot. I like that way of thinking, Melissa. I mean, see, um, one uh, metric that may be worth having us keep in mind is we should certainly do things that ultimately, you know, make us happy. But um, happiness is also, you know, uh, uh, of different kinds, right? Like there is something that can make you happy today. So so let's say just as an example, 
I go out for a good, beautiful meal, an enjoyable conversation with a friend. I mean, it makes me happy to do that. Uh, but then, you know, two months later, would that experience still be a source of happiness for me? Is it adding to my bucket of happiness? Uh, not by itself, but if I've cultivated a practice of gratitude where I can look back at fond memories in life and get a surge of joy within me for having experienced those, even though I'm not experiencing it today, but having had the opportunity and privilege to have experienced those in the past, if I have that gratitude muscle built, then that experience which I have today will actually yield even more growing happiness over time, right? And so um, we can all therefore assess experiences for, and by the way, and then there are some experiences which give us happiness today, but which will bring us sadness tomorrow. You know, we all know that, you know, things which wreck our health or which wreck our mental health or put lives at risk, you know, for us and others could give us an immediate high in the moment, but we know, you know, tomorrow something not very good is going to be um, incrementally like added to our life because of the fact that we developed this habit now or we're, you know, kind of like really punishing our body now, what have you. Um, and so is there a certain set of practices which when you do them in the moment, they both bring you immediate joy and they also cumulatively add to the joy you will have later in life, even when your body is failing you, even when you've retired from active public life and not many people are following you on LinkedIn or Twitter or anything anymore. Even when, you know, you're aging and your loved ones, let's say, are starting to die, you know, because your peer group is, is also aging and what have you. I like to conduct thought experiments. And that's just like a thought experiment I just want to encourage us to keep in mind, which is, are there certain practices today which will just keep adding to a bucket of happiness even, even in periods in the future? Maybe that can allow us to start being more forethoughtful. Now, for me, like one of those practices was meditation. For the longest of time, I was not doing it. I knew that it had something in it, but I just wasn't doing it. Because like in the immediate moment, it was not giving me pleasure. It was giving me, you know, just a lot of struggle and mental restlessness and a feeling of failure about like the fact that I didn't really feel anything. And then I just wouldn't do it, you know, and I would do it for two days and not do it for two months and then do it for two days and not do it for two months. And that kept going on for about like 20 years or so. And from my teens, it was really more in my like mid-30s where I finally, you know, told myself, no, I mean, I, I got to start now because I got to start building up this capital inside me of like the hours and hours and days and days of striving and practice. And initially when I did it, I thought, you know what, this is going to be a sacrifice. It's going to involve just lots of years of just like self-discipline and only in future may it bear fruit. But I was pleasantly surprised that once I started on that discipline and I started to do it every day, just like those of us who maybe haven't done it for meditation, but they've done it, let's say for running their couch potatoes and then they start to run. And initially it's a torture, but you get to that point where it actually becomes a source of joy. And then you get to a point where you might be actually doing other things, but there's this pull inside you to actually want to go back and just do that run because you haven't done it today or you know, to do that meditation in my case or, or what have you. And that's when you start realizing that actually speaking, there are certain practices in life which give us both immediate joy and make us very feel true to us, you know, immediate kind of pulls. And also they actually prepare us to be that much stronger and fitter and happier in the future. I had a very similar journey with meditation and it's even come and gone after I developed the practice, like I made it a huge priority during my pregnancy, made sure to meditate 20 minutes twice a day, every single day. I don't think I missed one day. Oh, wow. And then I had an infant. And so I was like, I'm going to keep this going. It's my favorite time of the day. But of course I didn't for a while. 
But then I realized like all of these other areas in my life were getting kind of convoluted. It's like I felt those addictive tendencies pulling me even further. I felt myself getting more emotionally wrapped up in things that didn't involve me. Like all the things that I've been trying to untangle myself from over the years and and suddenly I'm just like falling into them. And so uh, a while ago I was like, I need to make sure that I'm prioritizing meditation and I, I can't quite get the 20 minutes twice a day right now, but I'm getting 20 minutes and 10, which is very close. And within a few days, I could already feel myself just having a greater sense of peace when something would happen. Because you sit there and you get used to having a thought that might be triggering and letting it pass by. And so it's so much easier to take in a conversation where I'm then triggered. And instead of snapping back, I'm just observing my thoughts about it and letting it pass by. And that practice of meditation helps me remember what those deeper levels of why I'm showing up are. And so I can get burnt out, for example, and then it like feels like every task is this thing I have to show up for. But once I started meditating, it's like I have the time to remind myself, okay, yeah, I'm not going to sit at my computer to finish this episode. I'm not even, it's like, why am I finishing this episode? Oh, so I can put this out. Can I go a level deeper? I was reminded, I can't remember who taught this. I'll have to look it up, mm-hmm. but going seven layers deep into the why, like, like, okay, well, what do you, uh, why do you want this, uh, this thing you're going to buy? Oh, oh, so that I can, like, maybe it's, or maybe it's a course you're putting out. Why do you want to put out this course? So I can make more money. Why do you want to make more money? So that I can purchase things without stress. Why do you want to purchase things without stress? So I can do this. And then ultimately it gets down to like, so I can show my child that there's a better, uh, a better way to live and have freedom. And you end up getting to this deep thing. My husband's yeah. been doing it and reminding me of this. And But I don't know if I would have been able to get there without the stillness to find those things and to find the core things that are driving me. And I know that you teach that there are five core energies that drive us. What are those energies? Yeah, well, thank you for sharing. That's a powerful and beautiful commentary on your meditation journey. Yeah, so uh, the five energies. Within each of us is a very, very special place. And I call it your inner core. And, and you know, you can sense it. You know, you know when you're there and when you feel just deeply connected and committed and curious and calm and centered and... And so what I've sought to do is unpack that little bit and have us all get a more structured guidance and understanding of uh, what lies within, what is it that we, in an invisible but very tangible way, activate from there? What energies do we activate from there from time to time? And those are those five energies. Um, Well, the first of those is what I call purpose. And purpose is about having kind of like what you were just saying with those, you know, deeper dive why questions, you know, like, why am I doing what I'm doing? What is my core intention here? What am I seeking in life? Answering some of those bigger, like, why questions, setting yourself a certain pole star that will guide and direct you and inspire you to know that there is meaning, there is a a sense of clarity and direction that you are actually committing to in life. Now, it may not come immediately, but it's something that we should all be exploring and you know, evolving and experimenting to get us to that, you know, deeper why. And so that's purpose. Uh, once we have that, the beautiful thing about it is that it makes you really resilient and adaptive because from the outside, things are going to keep changing. You'll have a baby one day and then another day you're now back to seeking to want to get back into the work mode as well, etc. So the outer conditions in life keep changing, but that inner steadiness of purpose, you know, can be a very centering and anchoring thing. And so we keep re-expressing that purpose and reinterpreting it 
in fresh ways based on conditions that change around us, some of which we control, some of which don't control. But that inner clarity and commitment to what that purpose is expressed in different ways on different days, you know, becomes a very steadying device. So that's the first. The second energy is, is wisdom. And wisdom is about recognizing that, you know, I may have the greatest of purpose, but if I get really, you know, riled up or very scared or depressed or, or, or overconfident or hubristic, you know, the best of intentions can just get, you know, sidelined. And so wisdom is about striving to create an inner environment, just like you were talking about doing with your thoughts, where your thoughts and your emotions, you know, beliefs are all in service of your higher purpose. And you are checking in on them and you are seeking to regulate them and direct them to be in that service. And so being able to strive to see the truth in all situations, in all matters, uh, even when it comes in uncomfortable and unexpected ways, like, someone just reacts in um, sort of like a strange way to what you've just said. And rather than ignore that, maybe you lean into it and you say, so-and-so, I noticed that you just like pull back or you just, you know, seem to have a grim expression when I announced that this is our work from home, you know, policy now and what have you. And, and maybe actually there is something really important in that person's reaction that you will discover if you open yourself up to receiving the truth in, in that situation. So that's, that's the wisdom energy. Uh, and then the third is, um, you know, I call it growth. And that's about recognizing that, you know, we all drift in and out of enlightenment. You know, there are those moments where we get closer to our core and moments where we get pulled away. And then moments where we are like really pulled away, you know, very triggered or riled up and what have you. And and so growth is about recognizing that there is a capacity in each of us to get it to grow closer and closer and closer towards that core in every moment, everything we do. And so when we are becoming more committed to reflecting and learning and getting advice and mentoring and practicing, building new habits uh, in order to get to activate those qualities of the core from within us in everything we do, then we are activating that energy of growth. The fourth of these uh, is what I call love, you know, and, and love is recognizing that, I mean, there's no such thing as a self-made, you know, human being, man or woman. I mean, that, no, I mean, you know, we're all interconnected and interdependent, not just with our own peers, but even, you know, past generations, certainly, you know, the the, the, the parents who, um, you know, conceived and ultimately, you know, kind of nurtured us, the, um, you know, our caregivers, um, past generations who have created the conditions of somewhat greater safety and comfort in the world so that we can benefit from it today. And so love is as Rumi, you know, this, this beautiful Sufi poet once said, he said, love is the bridge between you and everything. It's this recognition that we can take joy in other people's joy. We can find success in other people's success. You know, that happens when, you know, like you've just been blessed with, when you have a baby, you know, you, their joy becomes your joy. You know, their success in some ways, small success. They've just started to, you know, crawl. They've just started to walk. It's so joyous, you know, a moment in our lives. Uh, but then maybe nature through that experience of having a child or raising a family was merely trying to open the human condition up to the realization that, oh my God, I can actually operate beyond me. There's, you know, my heart is throbbing in that heart too, not just, you know, not just in my body. And if that's true of my family, maybe it's true of my global family as well. Maybe it's true of like every human being that I'm meant to in some ways feel a sense of warmth, compassion, connection, kindness with them. So that's the love energy. Uh, and then the fifth and final one is um, what I call self-realization. And that's the idea that beyond our senses and beyond like our thoughts and our feelings, which is kind of the space most of the times we are operating in, either in the sensory or the thought and feeling. Actually, there's a part of us that lies at the very center of our being that we might call the human spirit. 
you know, and it's a space of pure consciousness. You know, you talk about how in some of the meditation practices that you recaptured, you know, at some point after, you know, giving birth that you, you were feeling and sensing that sense of peace from within. And it's a birthright. It's something that all of us have within, uh, you know, to access. And so self-realization is about recognizing that there are practices and paths we can take to actually activating that truest, most centered part of us and seeing the immense rewards that it gives you in how to then show up in life with that much greater clarity and centeredness. So, um, so yeah, purpose, wisdom, growth, love, and self-realization. Those are all so powerful. And, and I feel like often I'm touching on one and kind of forgetting the other one or like different ones highlight at different times in my life. Maybe that's just normal. But one thing I like about the way you teach is that you teach leadership, but you, a lot of times people think about leadership and they automatically think of a work setting or a corporate environment. But you talk about how life is leadership and and with all these qualities, not only do we live better, we also lead better. How do you view leadership in a way that might not be how other people at home think of like, you know, leadership more in a work setting? And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. How do you view leadership in a way that might not be how other people at home think of like, you know, leadership more in a work setting? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, it's, and it's a very um, important part of, you know, the journey I've been on to. I mean, in some ways, the thing that I've been striving for is a sense of unity and integration in all our moments and to not feel that any one of them is better or more significant than any other as such. And, you know, one way, you know, that I, as a thought experiment, thought about it just the other day, what I was saying is, you know, as a person, you know, as a human being, right, let's say if I look down on two ants 
that are having some kind of debate, you know, on the floor. One of them is like twice the height, you know, or twice like the weight or something and can beat the other end up or whatever it might be, right? Twice the genius of the other end, right? Like for them, it's such a significant thing, you know, those relative differences. But like watching it from my scale and my level, it seems such a trite and trivial difference. Einstein said it beautifully once. He said, the difference between what the least knowledgeable person knows and what the most knowledgeable person knows is trivial compared to what is not known. And so I've always found these great ones, you know, the inspired kind of creators and path makers and change makers from history, that they were less concerned about trying to like compare and contrast like where they were relative to where other people were. And they were more concerned merely about like, you know, the unfathomable largest kind of universal truths and ideas and aspirations that lay seemingly beyond humanity's reach. But then you look at it 60, 70, 100 years later, it came to within humanity's reach. And that's how humanity has advanced. Now, the reason I share that is because let's go back to the conversation you just started for us around life and leadership. Well, you know, we have created a society where certain moments and roles are given more of a prime importance and more of a gravitas. And so if somebody's um, in the limelight, somebody's on stage, somebody's um, leading you know, 100,000 people versus like 10,000 people versus 1,000 people, well, they're considered to be more successful. They're considered to be in some ways, quote unquote, superior, right? Now, what that does is it also makes us then conclude that if someone is dialing down, let's say, on some of those ambitions and putting more time into, for a period of time, let's say, you know, raising the family or, you know, caring for loved one, like a parent who's sick for a while, that somehow that those are less significant, less worthy of celebration and admiration, applause and respect and greatness and less of an arena where like the greatest, most like creative, you know, part of us can actually flourish relative to being the leader of a hundred thousand person or a million person organization or what have you, right? And, but why? Because, like in the eyes of the infinite, Every finite act must be like looking very trite, <laughs> looking very simple. Just like for me, when I look at two ants doing whatever they're doing, who cares about trying ordering them and all of that, right? But so in the eyes of the infinite, so if we take this more like transcendental perspective of looking at it from the eyes of the universe, then there's no reason why any human act is any less significant than any other. And if that's the case, then the same laws of conduct, the same laws of success should apply to every act. To every act. Why should it dis- differentiate between one role and another role? That's what we have done in society today, but it doesn't need to be that way, right? And so if you see yourself just as this spirit, this fluid energy that is just kind of flowing, you know, through moments of time and through space, getting to focus on one goal and then another and then a third, interacting with other fluid spirits who are moving around you, then perhaps all of life, you know, just becomes this one kind of just constant quest to lead, to bring out the best. That is my definition of leadership, to activate the core in yourself and in others, to make like beautiful things happen, whether it's a fleeting conversation with a stranger or a serviceful act to a loved one or a strategic decision and move that you have to make at, you know, at the top of like, you know, a large institution. It's all the same. How can I bring out the best in me? How can I bring out the best in the people around me? Because I have this abiding and like, you know, undying belief that we can go on a hero's journey, that we can do beautiful things together, that there's magic in this moment, even if we're feeling a little bit beaten up by circumstances and change and, you know, conditions. Um, And life is short, you know, why not 
take every moment as an invitation from life to like my son, my daughter, you know, as the universe might call upon us, lead, 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 <laughs> you know, do your part and then invite others and inspire them to do theirs. Yeah, it reminds me of just the idea that the way you behave more than the way you say what you tell people to do, that's what brings that out in other people. I was actually just talking to somebody about uh, how amazing it is sometimes when you have relationships and and you get into these patterns with relationships and you start to make assumptions about what the other person is thinking or feeling or whatever and and you're like in an argument and you see this person acting in such a way and you're like, well, it's clearly their fault. It is like, obviously they're the one that's coming at me this way. And and it might be even from an outside perspective, but often even just the ideas that we're holding or the way we're showing up in that activates that person's like anger or hostility or whatever without us even knowing it. So then it's easy for us to be like, well, you just came at me this way. And it's like, well, they felt this from you. And so often too, it's like, or lately in my life, I've had a lot of different family members come to me. One person in particular, much older than me, came and just said, like, I need to know what you're doing. Like, you seem like you've changed your life around so much. You just seem so happy. Like, how can I be happy with my life? And it brings tears to my eyes because I love this person mm-hmm. very much. But there was years in the beginning of my self-exploration journey that I was like showing up to Christmas and being like, I learned this, this, and this. This is how you have to be, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know, I was like on the baby part of the journey. And then I realized like that didn't get anywhere. I I could just, I could say whatever, but people were just like, okay, Melissa, this is the next train you're on, like whatever. But then over the years, like just seeing maybe my demeanor or the way that I interact with people or accept people or whatever, that shined through. So that moment meant probably so much more to me than that person realized because yes, of course, I wanted to show up and help that person. But at the same time, to me, it showed that other people can see the differences in my life. Other people are, maybe their awakening is even being activated because I first did the work. So it's not even just about me and finding this inner peace for myself. It's like people see that and then people want that. And that's what activates the desire for change. Or maybe it's the understanding that there's hope to change in other people. Ah, that's so beautiful. What a wonderful story. And Thank you for sharing the prologue to that too, in terms of how you used to be and then, you know, what happened in this moment. I mean, you know, when Gandhi said something like, be be the change you want to see in the world, I mean, that's kind of what he meant, that we don't realize that, um, you know, when there is violence in the world, when there is, um, you know, various kinds of, uh, you know, struggles uh, on the outside, that they're basically a reflection of those same struggles and violence on the inside. You know, I used to think um, of violence in very physical terms, you know, for a while. And then I realized there's also, of course, emotional pain that you can cause somebody. But then I was reading some of Gandhi's writings and I realized like for him, you know, violence began in the mind. It began with the construct of thought, you know, with um, any context where you unnecessarily in your mind are critical of somebody else or are just like feeling a sense of disrespect, disrespect towards them because of some quality they have. You know, I mean, there are some situations where it's reasonable and necessary. Like if I'm giving, you know, a performance review to somebody, you know, at work and I have to kind of look at some of their, you know, development gaps and help support them, guide them on how to close them. I I kind of have to be in an objective and balanced and non-emotional way, you know, kind of in a position to be critical. But when you take those situations out and you just examine your mind, I mean, it's remarkable for 
some of us, maybe not all, certainly I can speak for myself, where you start to realize like, my heavens, if that's Gandhi's definition of violence, I have a lot of work to do, you know, to really tame that impulse to judge people and to quickly rush to a certain conclusion about them in my mind. I mean, I'm not speaking on the outside. And so, so when we are seeking to create, let's say, a more peaceful world, a more peaceful society, you know, what if each of us took that kind of goal that you mentioned you've discovered has really worked for you, which is, I want to change all these people in the world. What can I do to become the most non-violent version of myself from within? And then maybe there's something in the energy that I will exude that will naturally lead to a ripple impact, you know, across others as well. Anyway, that's just one example, right? One example. It's been weighing on me with everything that's been happening, you know, recently in um, our, you know, fairly strained fabric, you know, of uh, American society with some of these mass shootings. So, Oh, yeah. I, I haven't even allowed myself to go to some of the news cycles just because being a new mom, like anything involving children, like I can barely get the sense oh, sentence out wow. without just feeling like the weight. And so I haven't really touched on it. But I am interested in what you said about speech being violence. And it's interesting that you or ideas, thoughts, even being violence, because it was only like, I think it was four days ago that I actually just meditated on this idea. And it's because I I remember learning about, I think it's a himsa in yoga teacher training that is the nonviolent right. way of life. Yeah. And, you know, so often we think of violence as being physical, but we also hear now it's, it's a talking point. Um, some people call it a woke talking point about speech being violence. And there's a part of me that, pushes back on that where I'm like, no, you know, and I think the part of me that pushes back is like, I just see more maybe structures or like governance around speech then. And I'm like, I don't know if that's necessarily the way to go because I feel like we have to find that out for ourselves. You know, we have to practice self-regulation. And then also if it's coming at us, processing that and turning it into something meaningful. And I think a lot of times those challenges are what drives us to make a big change. So I think that that should be a self-regulation more than a government regulation. But in my meditation, I kind of unraveled, like, why why do I feel such pushback against that? Because I know in my soul, I, I do believe that. I think some of the things that have hurt me most are not the physical things. It's what people have said. But like I said, those have also led to sort of unraveling deeper truths or finding life lessons. And it eventually has led to some of my greatest strengths. But when we're practicing that self-regulation, whether it's because somebody is verbally hurting us or we are accidentally verbally hurting somebody else or even purposefully, a lot of that comes back to emotional mastery. And I know that's in your section on living with wisdom. What are your steps to really mastering our emotions. Yeah, yeah, thank you for asking. Like you said, it's one of the most uh, tangible and primary kind of you know areas to take on to help grow and develop yourself. I say tangible because the gains there are so immediate and so really clear and uh, it's just very in some ways exhilarating when you actually start to realize that, that there is so much more, you know, to your potential when you're able to start taking ownership and stewardship, you know, over your emotional life. Uh, so for me, A, I want to acknowledge the uh, tremendous kind of insight and growth I've gained from studying the work and learning from and being mentored by, you know, Dr. David Burns, who is a preeminent, you know, cognitive behavior therapist, uh, 
written a bestseller, you know, Feeling Good and, and several books beyond as well. Uh, very, very, you know, loved in the psychotherapy community for all, for all the pioneering work he's done in this area. So I've, I've, you know, expressed my gratitude for him and what he's done to help me think about this. But, but the way I like to think about it is that, um, first of all, you know, do a little bit of an emotional audit. In other words, kind of look at which emotions are working for you and which ones are working against you. And typically you'll find it's not just simply like positive emotions are working for us and negative are working against us because, you know, an emotion like anger, you know, most people consider it negative. But if you're doing the right things with it, it can actually be really helpful from time to time to experience that emotion and use it to alert you to an injustice or to a certain cause or something that needs to be, you know, given attention to. And it can give you courage and clarity to go ahead and do that. So, uh, you know, on the other side of positive emotion, like optimism, you know, most people consider that to be a good thing to have, true. And at the same time, at times it can lead to overconfidence and a complacency and a lack of preparedness in certain situations. And so uh, just do an emotional audit and understand where your emotional life is helping or hurting you, right? And then once you identify that there are certain emotions I want to work on, well, then the good news is that today there is uh, such a profusion of insights and tools available to us, you know, many different pathways that we can take to get emotional mastery. The first step typically always is to gain a certain amount of emotional awareness, which means that moment by moment, you are seeking to have a part of you, you know, doing the dance in the ballroom of life, but there's a part of you on the balcony that is being able to watch and just be able to kind of like map that, oh, you know, I seem to be surging with this emotion right now. And usually when I surge, I can't trust myself. I would score myself a high on a low, medium, high scale on this emotion of irritation right now or on this emotion of impatience right now or whatever it might be. So a part of you on the balcony, just being able to observe, therefore getting to a certain level of emotional awareness. You know, all you have is an awareness in that moment. Typically that by itself can be a catalyst for saying, you know what, this is not the right time for me to send that email to this person. This is not the right time for me to make this decision, you know, or what have you. Or I better get to regulate, you know, shift my emotional state because this person is walking the door. The conversation might start any moment and I don't want to be in this irritated state when the conversation starts. So from emotional awareness, you want to get to some amount of emotional, if you want to call it regulation, right? You can intentionally direct your emotion to where you want it to go. If you think it's too intense, you want to find a way to dial it down. If you think it's an unnecessary wrong emotion or jumping to a certain conclusion or, you know, quick judgment that you don't really want, but it's a habit of the past and so it's surging within you, well, then you want to find a way just to dispense with it and to walk away from it. Uh, sometimes these can be behaviors we can take on like just hitting the pause button, just like pausing for a while, taking your mind off that issue to let your body just calm down and get yourself to a, and it's amazing. Within two minutes, you can be a wholly different person. You know, sometimes it's about taking a walk or doing some exercise or listening to some uplifting, pleasant, you know, beautiful music or uh, just doing some deep breathing, uh, you know, or acting out the opposite emotion, you know, fake it until you make it. Um, all or any of these can be immediate behavioral things we can do to get our emotions a little bit sort of like out of that like sharp edged, intense surge. Uh, but then I would offer that an even more lasting tool in the long run is where we start to correlate our thinking with our emotions. And we start to observe and realize that my emotions are coding in them certain messages, you know, that I have unconsciously just internalized, you know, that like 
this person is an idiot, you know, for doing X, Y, or Z, or what have you. Uh, or like, you know, clearly they're incompetent or, or like they're being so unfair to me or like, you know, life just sucks right now. And, you know, so, so we have all of these kinds of things unconsciously. I call them your ants, you know, as your automatic negative thoughts that just like, you know, just are scripts that are running the back of our mind, underlying these emotions. And if we can become aware of these scripts and then start to in a healthy way, thoughtful way, intentional way, rescript them, challenge them and rescript them, find the imbalance, the lack of logic, the lack of data, you know, et cetera, in these thoughts and realize how much they're in a sense like crippling us from within emotionally and then start to move to a new pattern of thinking and put more energy into the new pattern and send more, if you want to call it like oxygen, you know, through the bloodstreams of those neurons in our brain that are fired when this new thought is going through our brain rather than the old thought and now translating it into like the physiology of it. But if we keep doing that, you know, again and again and again, after a while, these new thoughts become the more natural part of who we are and how we react. And the old ones just start to fade away. And then we realize, oh my heavens, you know, I no longer feel so triggered, you know, in this situation or that situation, which, you know, for the last couple of years I was really working on. And that's a beautiful journey to take where you start to feel a new and improved version of yourself who has expanded, in a sense, your comfort zone because now more of those blows and, you know, wild cards that life deals with us from time to time can be dealt with from a place of, you know, grace and thought. It reminds me of what I was saying earlier about how I may hold an energy within me or maybe it's an idea or an assumption about somebody or or kind of how I've compartmentalized them and then I'm interacting with them thinking they're the problem, but I'm the one who came in with all of these ideas within within me. And, it, and yeah. you know, I'm going to use the example of weather because clearly the weather is not out to get me, right? <laughs> but there, <laughs> I've noticed, like, I've decided last year that I was going to stop thinking of any weather as bad. I did read a book called There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather that kind of gave me the jump start. I love that. I love that. <laughs> and it's just, I, I started to try to just find a mindset shift, whatever, a new way to think about it. And I like to go through my, I call it my Rolodex of mindsets and then land on whatever one feels good. And sometimes I'll have a tendency to go outside and be like, oh man, it's cloudy and rainy today. Like I, why? And I started actually thinking like, oh my gosh, the weather is humid and cool. The universe must think my skin needs this. And I just like pretend that it's exactly for me <laughs> instead of wow, against me. And you can do that with anything. Like I know that love or hate the book, The Secret, whatever, but uh, the author Rhonda Byrne calls people your personal emotional trainers. And it's so easy to think like, oh, this person is doing this to me. Or why does this person have to be so frustrating? And looking at it in a way of like, okay, I am experiencing this because my soul needs it or my human needs it to refine in the way that my goals are. That is why every situation is in front of me is because this is what I need. And if you look at it, like if you have to stick to the thing that you, that life is happening to you, then it's like, yeah, it's happening because this is what I need, the, the for you aspect of that. And so without being able to kind of direct your mind in a way that feels more empowering than we're subject to what you call these mental distortions that sort of, you know, we think that we're just viewing everything objectively, but nothing is really objective. Everything is, is subjective. Oh, beautiful. I'm actually, you know, I'll share a story 
which I wasn't able to put in my book just uh, for space constraints. And so I'm happy to get a chance, you know, today to Exclusive share. Exclusive story from my <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> because it speaks so much to this philosophy, which I love that you just recounted for us. I haven't applied it to weather the way you have so thoughtfully in framing it to actually feel a tangible blessing each time the weather changes to whatever it changes to. I love that. I love that. So this one time I'm on an airplane and we were meant to fly to Los Angeles from New York and we were on the tarmac and, you know, and it's just waiting and waiting. And so, you know, it rolls, you know, into, into higher gear. And then suddenly the, um, and it's like 11 o'clock at night now. And the, you know, pilot announces, uh, ladies and gentlemen, sorry, the flight crew has, overstayed, you know, the number of hours of work they can do in a day based on the federal regulations. And so at this point, with the delay that has happened, we will not be able to fly. And so um, please come back in the morning. We're going to you know, reschedule you on a different airplane and they, they'll take care of your hotel. And this is a JFK. It's like, you know, an hour plus, you know, from New York City. And it's Friday evening. So I've lost my Friday evening. I'm in this plane. I'm going to do what? Like come back for like five hours to sleep and then go back again. And anyway, I was just like, you know, going through that kind of sense of feeling of disappointment and just uh, annoyance. And then the person next to me immediately when he announces that, she says, she just like shrugs the shoulders and looks at me and smiles and says, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I was like, wow, how graceful, how thoughtful. Because that's the philosophy I also ascribe to and believe in. And in that moment, I was drifting out of enlightenment. So I get out of the airplane, I, you know, do the math. I'm like, you know, what's the point of commuting back and forth, you know, New York City? Let's just try to get this hotel here that they're going to give us. But the line was so long of all the passengers. I was like, this is just not going to be worth it. So I do take a cab. I come into the city grudgingly for my whatever, five hours of sleep. And I enter my apartment and, uh, you know, there's a weird smell, but it's okay. I just keep doing what I'm doing for a little bit. Then I want to warm something up. So I go to the gas oven and my heavens, I'd left the gas on. That was the smell. You know, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. I mean, of course, I keep wondering, what about the 237 other passengers? What is it that the universe had uh, conspired for them to make it their moment as well for unexpectedly not flying to Los Angeles that day? But for me, it's very clear what that moment was for. It was the lady next to me who had to remind me of that even before she knew. <laughs> what it was going to be. So I always use that story. Anytime I feel um, myself slipping into that, why, why this? <laughs> oh my gosh. I fully have chills. I would get back on that plane the next day and be like, sorry guys, I left my gas on. That's the whole <laughs> reason this happened. I'm really, <laughs> well, so true. the last thing I want to touch on is that you talk about these three states triggered every day and centered. And in the stories that we've told, we've kind of shown how we oscillate between that. But how do we move to get more of that centered, more of the triggered to kind of go into the everyday and more the everyday to kind of go into our centered so that we're living more in that highest self or from our core energies? Beautiful. I mean, I think just a very simple, but, um, you know, a very helpful way to think about yourself that you're not oneself. You know, we talked about that in the beginning as well, right? And there's the agitated, triggered self from time to time, there's the everyday, and then there's, you know, the very centered part of you that you're most proud of, right? And so I would say, you know, two things. One is, do make sure that you keep going on your journey towards more and more centeredness, because you have no idea, no idea what is awaiting you there fully. And you may feel like you're there. You may feel like, you know, the peace you feel when you take that walk in nature or something is, is like the ultimate thing. But actually, you know, from all the teachings that I've explored over the years and the little bit of glimpses I've had of 
you know, the path that I'm on, uh, I can tell you that uh, there is like boundless joy and love and stability and peace and fulfillment and richness at the very core of our being. And so that journey is never over. And it's powerful to keep investing some time in your day to put things on pause and have some practice, you know, that takes you there uh, as, be- as best, you know, that practice can help you. Uh, now, what happens is when you start to do that, then over time, your brain is getting rewired. Your brain is getting rewired. And so there's this book called Altered Traits, written by a couple of the preeminent you know, researchers on the new science of meditation, new science as in it's an old and timeless technology, but science is now starting to apply itself to studying it, right? Uh, the practice of meditation. And so Dr. Richard Davidson and, and Daniel Goldman, they've written this book, Altered Traits, and they traits, and they talk about it there. They talk about how you can see that over time, when you're keep on keeping on doing your centering practice, you start to have more stability in your everyday moments. You don't get as disgruntled or distracted or dejected or what have you. Um, And so it naturally starts to uh, infuse itself more in your everyday moments. You just become a more present person in your everyday moments. One thing I found very helpful is that in my everyday moments, if I have a little bit of me that is staying in an observational state, uh, then from time to time, it might tell me, Hitendra, you know, you're getting a little bit frazzled. You're getting a little bit sort of just like jaded and just like not fully inspired. It's a good moment to pause and go within. And then I might just, you know, pause my activity if I can, if I'm not in the middle of a meeting or conversation with somebody. And just take five minutes to just go within and do whatever my practice might be. You know, whether it's deep breathing or meditation or a chant or a visualization or a mantra or whatever it is. Uh, just take five minutes to just go in or three minutes or two minutes and just go in there. Just, just do that. And that way you are getting at least a glimpse, a little bit of reconnection with that sense of self. And then you're re-emerging back into the arena of life to play the game, you know, that the world is inviting you to play, but from a place of authentic connection to your core within. So I have found the practice of uh, creating that awareness and now and then during the day, going and drinking again from that uh, limitless fountain, you know, that lies within us. Uh, small little interventions, and then having a more steadier practice at some other point in the day to be a very transformational, transformational thing. Uh, And then we are left with our trigger states. Now, in the trigger states, the main thing is for us to take ownership that this is not the world that is causing this. We cause this to ourselves. That itself is such a huge leap. You know, you've talked about it. Um, as something so important to realize that it is, it is me, it is you. It's not, it's not, it's not, you know, life beyond. Uh, so take that, if you can take that leap, that itself is like a beautiful, you know, kind of progression towards taking full ownership over your state of being. Uh, but if you can take that leap, say it's, it's, it's my responsibility. Then some of the tools we were talking about when we were discussing emotional mastery come into play. And initially, you know, they, they may not give you like perfect rewards. It might, it might be that, you know, you can recover from an emotional like trigger sooner than before, but you still have these with high frequency. But it can also be that over time you discover that the intensity starts to go down. And then third and finally, you get to a point where you start to detect the surge coming and you're able to redirect it in the flow of the moment without even allowing it to go to a surge place. And that's, you know, that's a beautiful level of mastery to get to and it might take you know years or a lifetime to even even get there but but why not i mean that makes life so you know su- such a beautiful journey to to keep going on right and even if it does take a lifetime to get there i've found that one of the things that gets me 
into that centered state most mm-hmm. often is just knowing that I'm constantly making progress. And so that's yeah. when I f- tend to feel like less hopeful or less like more chaotic or just despondent is when I don't feel like I'm making progress. I don't have something to focus on that is just at least a little bit of a challenge for me every single mm-hmm. day. And and what a great challenge to give ourselves then one to just find that place of peace no matter what's going on around us. So thank you so much for all of the ideas that you've brought to, to us in this episode. For listeners that are interested in learning more about you and your book, where is the best place for them to connect? Yeah, thank you, Marissa. You've been a wonderful companion and, you know, conversational partner and uh, drawing things out both of me and of you. I've just loved your your personal journey and your stories. The best place uh, I would invite us to consider is just my personal website. So that's uh, hitendra.com, H-I-T-E-N-D-R-A, hitendra.com. Um, and you'll see information about my book and newsletter and a few other things and Certainly very, very grateful to have been here with you and your audience. And I wish all of you who are listening today real well on your pursuit, both of outer and inner inner success. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash x85. Your challenge for this week is to find one place in your life that you can nudge yourself a little closer to the center. I'm always on this journey, this particular challenge. I was recently talking to someone who said, there's just so much to do. There's so much to fix in my life. And I thought, I know exactly what you mean. If you would have shown me a picture or a short video clip of my life now, compared to when I first started realizing that something needed to change, wow, my world is vastly different. I don't even know if that version of me would have looked at this version of me and thought, I want that life. (laughs) And I mean that in the most amazing, miraculous way possible. As I've gotten closer to the center of who I am, to the core of my being, I've realized so many of the things I was chasing back then don't matter to me at all. The things that I thought were important back then aren't important to me at all. But I didn't figure this out all at once. I figured it out one small baby step at a time. I just started following my joy a little bit more often. And that doesn't mean that the moment I made that decision, everything was different. It means that I found one area that seemed manageable or doable, and I made baby steps towards that. And when I got the hang of that one, I found another thing to work on, and another thing. And there's still infinite amount of things that I can focus on, but looking back, All I can see is how far that I've really come. The trap is when we start to judge our progress or focus on the gap of where we are and where we want to be, focus on how we're not there yet or who has what we don't or how we're always messing up this one area. The best way to approach any of these feelings is with compassion, like the loving mother reparenting yourself, understanding that the journey is never linear, that there's never really a destination that you land at, that there will always be new challenges, that there will always be things that you can find that you can do better, and really just trusting the process. So let me know what you're working on this week. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa or leave a comment right on the show notes page at mindlove.com slash x85. 
If you'd love to support Mind Love, the best way to do that is by joining Mind Love Premium at mindlove.com slash premium. You can also do it right in the Apple Podcasts app. You can also leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you do, I just might read your review on the show. And finally, supporting any of my amazing sponsors. I say no to a lot of sponsors because I want to find brands and companies that I'm in perfect alignment with. So any of the sponsors on this show, I have fully vetted and absolutely love. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week.